Okay. Now, 2 Kings chapter 4. We're, we're on this series on oil reserves. And oil, of course, you know, is a picture in the Bible of spiritual life, that abundant life that Jesus promised. Spiritual life. So we're looking at how can we have these oil reserves lined up. Let's read this story, and then we'll come back, and I want to unpack some things. Verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Notice where her faith is. Have nothing. Well, I, I, I do have a small jar of oil, olive oil. That's all I have. I have nothing. She's got no faith, no confidence. So she's going to Elisha. Verse 3, Elisha said, go round and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But they replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. How many would agree that's, that's a miracle of supply? That's the kind of God that we serve, that he is. If you remember when we started this series on oil, oil reserves, Pastor Adam used the story in Matthew 25 about uh, the ten bridesmaids uh, who had their oil for their lamp, and they were all waiting for the bridegroom to come, and when he came, all of a sudden they realized they didn't have any oil. They didn't have an oil supply. So they tried to borrow oil from the other bridesmaids. And they said, no, we, don't have a, we have enough for us, but we don't have enough for you. So they were in trouble. They couldn't go. They didn't have oil for their lamps. That would be a sad place for you and I to be, wouldn't it? We don't have oil. We don't have an oil supply. So that when God asks us to do something that would bring about a miracle in someone else's life, we don't have any oil. That would be a shame. That would be what we would call a dead church that had no oil supply. I want New Hope Christian Center to have an oil supply and reserves so we always have what we need when God calls on us. You see, she was dependent upon her neighbors. Dependent on her neighbors. Did you catch that? If her neighbors, all of them said, well, I'm not trusting you with my jar she'd be in trouble. 
She could, she gathered, she and her boys gathered all the extra jars they could. And the miracle was limited to the number of jars. You see that? So, we're talking here today about this oil supply. Where do we get our oil? One of the places we get our oil is in connecting to our neighbors. In the first case, if they'd have gone to the neighbors for the oil supply, those bridesmaids would have had enough. In the second case, they had to go out and get jars that the oil that they did have could be poured into. And there was a miracle of multiplication. As long as they poured into empty jars, the oil kept flowing. When they ran out of jars, that's when the oil stopped. That's when the supply of the Spirit of God, that abundant life, ceased. So I want to share some groups of people that have oil. We need to connect with people like this. Here's the first one. We read it in Proverbs 21, verse 20. Precious treasure and oil stay in the home of the wise, but fools swallow them up. Wise people have oil. We, we need to be hanging around with wise people. Wise people. You know, when you get my age, you pick up a little bit of wisdom along the way. How does somebody my age get wisdom? By the stupid decisions we made in the past. Precious treasure and oil stay in the home. As in, remain. Yes. There's always a supply. There's always a reserve built up with wise people. Wisdom is knowing how to stay in God's favor. I have lived portions of my life out of God's favor. And I have fortunately have lived most of my life in God's favor. Wisdom tells you how to do that. You and I need to seek wisdom, amen? Yeah. Fools consume the blessing on themselves. God, God just gave me this great amount of money. I just got this bonus. I just got this breakthrough. I have all this money come in. What am I going to do with it? That's where wisdom comes in. You can be wise or you can be foolish. Anytime there's a blessing, you can be wise or foolish. If you want another blessing, you better be wise. Because God doesn't make foolish investments. He invests in wise people who will honor Him. All right, so I got six of these. I got to keep moving. Here's number two. James chapter 5, verse 14 says, if any, Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Church leaders have oil. Or they better. Or they shouldn't be a church leader. You know, every church has official leaders and unofficial leaders. You know who the leaders are because their name is down on paper somewhere. The unofficial leaders don't have their name anywhere, but everybody around them knows they're a leader. If you're in trouble and you want somebody to pray for you, if you need a supply of oil, you don't go to foolish people. You go to the people that you know have it. Who are those people? 
If a person's going to be a leader in a church, whether this church or any church, they shouldn't just be the richest business people, most influential business people in town. They should be spiritual people. Yes. People that want to go to. They want to seek their wisdom. They want to seek their counsel. When leaders are chosen, they should be the people who are already leaders. So the, notice it says the sick should do the asking. It doesn't say that the church leaders are supposed to go to them and pray for them. It says they're supposed to call on the elders. They're supposed to pray on the church, call on the church leaders. Yes. It's, it's a matter of humility. If you're too proud to ask someone to pray for you when you have an issue, you're just too proud. God's not going to help you. You need to humble yourself. If you're a spiritual person, you know what it is to be humbled because God's done it to you time and time again. He's conditioning you to receive his blessing because proud people don't need God. It's going to cost some oil for you to receive healing. Somebody's got to dispense some oil. Somebody's got to give some oil away for you to receive healing. Why does God have this crazy ritual of putting oil on somebody to get healed? I don't know why God does that. But that's God's philosophy, so I better get aboard. I better figure it out. I don't have to know why or how it works. I just have to obey it. I just have to trust God. Some, a uh, couple years ago, I used to have a lectern up here that had a, a little, some of you elders know, I had a, had a communion, a little block of wood for a communion cup and, and communion bread on it up here on my lectern. So whoever's leading it would be able to do it right there. And, and uh, I also had a vial of oil laying on that. And all the elders knew it was there. Prayer partners know how to get the oil. We arrange for that in case somebody calls on them to be prayed for. One, some, one, one Sunday after church, somebody came to me, one of the elders wanted the oil, and it wasn't there. came to me. I didn't know where it was. Somebody took the oil. Who took the oil? It was gone. We're supposed to anoint people with oil, and somebody's asking us, and there's no anointing oil. So he hunted around, and I had to run back to my office and get a little vial out of my briefcase and bring it out so that we could anoint somebody with oil. See, we lost the oil. You can't help anybody if you've lost the oil. You have to know where the oil is. So we decided one vial of oil is just too dangerous. We better have a couple backups. So we have secretly placed several containers of oil and all the prayer partners know where the oil is. <laughs> Let's go to number three. Here's the third thing. In Psalm 45, verse 7, it says, You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, that's a key word for this, this verse. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. 
You see, those who love righteousness have oil. Already have it. If you love righteousness, you already got it. There's something in you that makes you love the right thing. You don't want to cheat. You don't want to do what the world's doing. You want to do this God's way. You want to have God's favor in your life. Righteousness, what is righteousness anyway? A simple definition would be God's goodness. I love God's goodness. God's good. I don't like the way he does it sometimes, but it always works out good. He knows what he's doing. He knows he's working with fallible people just like us. But he's got a good plan because he's got a good heart. And he wants to put his favor in our lives. Righteousness is God's goodness. Wickedness is just our selfishness. Me, 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 me. That's what two-year-olds do. Some people never grow out of the me, me, me's. It's always about themselves. That's wickedness. But he says, you love righteousness. Do you? Then he's talking about you. You love righteousness and you hate wickedness. Therefore, the conclusion of that, this is where that's going. Therefore, God, your God, it's personal. God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Who gets anointed with the oil of joy? It's the people who love righteousness. They love God's way of doing things. So he anoints you. It doesn't mean he comes up and puts some of that oil on your forehead. That means he just pours it out from heaven. The life... The, the oil just fills up inside of you. Right. Comes from him. Then come from you. It's for those that love righteousness. You and I need to love righteousness. Right. Let's look at number four. The fourth thing. Leviticus chapter 24 verse 2 says, Command the sons of Israel that they bring to you clear oil from beaten olives... For the light, to make a lamp burn continually. You know what continually means? Never goes out. The light continually shines. No matter whether good things are happening or bad things are happening, the light keeps shining. Notice it's clear oil. If you're going to donate something to the Lord, make sure it's clear. Make sure it's not full of debris. Make sure it's not full of gunk, junk, stuff that doesn't please the Lord. It's clear oil from beaten olives. How do you get olive oil? You beat the daylights out of the olives. Isn't that, isn't that where it comes from? You stomp the olives. You squeeze the olives Till it forces the olive oil out. That's where it comes from. Grapes, from where you get wine. And olives, from where you get the olive oil. Both have to be beaten. To get the best out of them. This isn't necessarily good news. But it's the truth. We need to be beaten. We need to get the stuff, we need to get the best out 
And the way to get the best out is to be put under pressure. That's why you find yourself under pressure. The very thing we don't want. We come to Jesus because we want peace. We want it easy. But it doesn't work that way. The best comes out of us when we're under pressure. So God knows how to put the pressure on. Not to crush us, but to break us so that he can get the best out of us. That's the truth. I know you don't like it, but it's the way it is. So if you want it the way it is, if you want reality in this Christianity, you got to trust in Jesus Christ and let him, let him squeeze the oil, bring the best out so we can have a light that continually shines, always shining, not most of the time, all the time. And that's true for all of us in this room. That's true for everyone that's watching online today from your home. Same thing's true. He puts us under pressure. Well, let's go to number five. I I got two more of these. Psalm 23, verse 5. You know the 23rd Psalm, so you'll recognize this verse. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Those in fellowship with God have oil. Who do you know that just stays in fellowship with God? They just always have an encouraging word. They always are uplifted even when things are going bad in their life. They always have a positive attitude. They're optimistic because they just trust God. You know people like that? Hang around them. They got oil. They got oil. And they don't mind sharing that oil. That's how they got it in the first place, being willing to share it. Let's break this down. You, you spread a table before me. The table in front of me. You know, today after church, we're going to go to a restaurant or we're going to go home. We're all going to sit down in our chair and there's going to be a table spread before us. Now, we're not talking about a wood table. We're talking about food on the table. Maybe you're the one that has to prepare it, but before you eat it, you're going to sit down at the chair and the food's going to be before you. What he's saying is, God, you spread the table before me. You prepare what I'm going to eat. I don't know, how, what, I don't know in this world if I'm, where's the money going to come from for my, for my food for tomorrow? But I never have to worry about not having food because God, you got my back. You're just a good, good, good God. So you spread a table before me. That's blessing, God's blessing. In the presence of my enemies. You don't do this in a hiding place someplace. You do this right out in the open. Where the people that that think I'm a fool, that think I'm the guy making all the mistakes and they got the world by the tail... You bless me right in their presence. They can't help but miss it because it's so blatantly out in the open because you just want the whole world to know you love me. You anoint my head. Your head's the highest thing up. Starts there and goes down. God anoints us. God puts his life. He puts his oil inside of us. 
he fills us up, which is the next part. My cup runs over. That's an old word picture for my life, my life experiences. This is, this is my cup. Good experiences get fuller and fuller and fuller. Mine runs right over. Mine is so full, I got excess to give away. I got excess to share with somebody else. My cup just runs over. He's talking about the favor of God in his life. So those in fellowship with God, sitting at his table, they're the ones that have oil. So who are those people? They're your neighbors. They have empty jars to share with you so you can be full. Here's number six. Here's the last one. Those who sit at Jesus' feet have oil. Listen to this from Mark chapter 14, verse 3. And being in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, as Jesus sat at the table, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly oil of a spikenard. Then she broke the flask and poured it on his head. Notice she's making a sacrifice. That's what worship is. You tribute worth to someone else. She's making a sacrifice of very costly oil of spikenard. She's not giving her leftovers. She's giving her best. That's how she worships Jesus. That's how we can worship Jesus. If you're going to offer a sacrifice before God, it ought to cost you something. Don't borrow from somebody else so you can give to God. It ought to cost you something. So she anointed his head. Another version where this story is told talks about why she did it. She did it for his burial. She knows he's going to die. Nobody else seems to believe that, but she's got this understanding. So she anoints his head with this oil. If you've got a life full of that spiritual life, that oil, you need to share it with somebody else. You need to be a giver. You need to invest in someone else. Sacrifice your oil as worshiping Jesus. And then I like it says, she broke the flask. She broke the bottle. Broke it. Breaking is what has to happen for there to be healing. Yes. Come on. Some, uh, some years ago, many years ago, I was a zit-faced teenager, and I was plagued with bloody noses. Some of you know, you remember your teen years, where your head grew faster than on the outside than on the inside. And it was so embarrassing. I'd be late for school because I'd have these nosebleeds first thing in the morning and I couldn't get it to stop. And I'd have to jump up in the middle of class with my, with my hand over my nose and run out to the restroom because it just started bleeding. No, nobody knows why. Right in front of all the cool girls. How embarrassing. And then one summer, I was working for a farmer and we were baling hay, and I was on the crew that was running the elevator, taking, taking the, 
the hay up to the mow in the barn. And we were all finished. And they let me crank it down. Now they got these motorized things that run up and down. But I had to crank it by hand. You know, that thing slipped out of my hand. Come around and hit me right in the nose. I dropped on my hands and knees and my nose bled like a faucet. Just right out. Dazed me. My friends were all, all young people. They all came around me to see what they could do to help. And there was nothing, nothing anybody could do. It just, it's bleeding all over the place now. So they gave me a shop rag to hold over my nose, got me in the van, took me to the doctor's office. The whole way there, I'm praying, oh, Lord, don't let my nose be broke. Don't let my nose be broke. <laughs> I got there and the doctor grabbed a hold of my nose and he wiggled it around on my face and he said, yep, it's broke. <laughs> so he put me in the hospital. First time in the hospital that I can remember. I spent the night. They set my nose. So I'm, it's in the summertime. I can't work. But broken nose. So I would go downtown to Dal's newsstand, that was the soda shop. With both my eyes black and blue, my whole face swelled up. I was an ugly sight for about a week. That was the bad side of it. You want to know the good side? I've never had a nosebleed since. Awesome. <laughs> you see, the breaking was the cure. The breaking was the cure. Sometimes we go through breaking experiences and we don't like the pain and we don't understand why a loving God who says he loves us would allow us to go through these things. But in reality, it's the breaking is the cure. When you go through the breaking process, if you can hang on to your faith and not give up, if you can hang on like a skier behind the boat, hang on, you don't let go, you're going to sink if you do, so you have to hang on, no matter how rough the waves are, which way it pulls you, you have to hang on. Hang on. God loves you. He wants to break you so he can use you. Wild stallions can't be used. They have to be broken. Then God can use them. So the sixth and, and final one here is those who, those who sit at Jesus' feet have the oil. That wise theologian, Anonymous, once said, broken things can become blessed things if you let Christ do the mending. You have to let Christ do the mending. He comes along and breaks you, and then he heals you, and you're never the same. That's what it's all about. If you, if you understand that, you can learn a lot. You can grow a lot. You can be used a lot. But a lot of people are just seeking God for comfort. They want God to comfort them. They don't want to be broken, and God can't use them. I want you to be different, you and me. We're in this together. We get broken, and then we get healed. It's the way it works. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together. Your supply of oil can come from your communion with your neighbors around you. We've got good neighbors. 
We've got good neighbors. We're in a, we're in a spiritual church. There's life in our church. We need to connect with one another. Because the oil you need, somebody else has. The oil you need, somebody else has. So this, it's true. My relationship with Jesus is personal. It's one-on-one. But it's also true, I'm a part of a body. The body of Christ. And if I'm a part of the body of Christ and it gets removed from the body, it's going to die. You remove my thumb from my body, it starts to die immediately. We need one another. Because we're one. That's, that's the whole principle. We're one. We need to understand this. We need to lean on one another, draw strength from one another. Amen? Amen. Amen. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you're going to do a work of healing. Lord, I know that there are some people in this room right now very discouraged because they're being broken. They're in the process of the brokenness. They cannot see healing anywhere. They cannot see anything good coming out of this. But, Father, they're leaning on you. Father, I'm I'm probably praying for somebody at home, somebody who feels broken. They feel abandoned. They feel all alone. God, you want to do something in their life. So I pray in the name of Jesus, you'll do the healing along with the breaking so that we can be the people you want us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.